How's everybody doing? I'm going to tell you something funny. I didn't even think to tell anyone this story. I, I mean, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Um, I didn't tell. <laughs> um, it was yesterday or the day before. I, I just got a different older car. I like older cars, and I'll keep them for a while and get rid of them and get something else. And um, first time I got an older convertible, it's an, it's an old Thunderbird convertible. And, and um, I, let, yeah, I let my wife drive it the other day, and she was kind of nervous, but you know, it was all of us, the whole family was in the car and, and she's driving it through our neighborhood. And I was sitting there and I was just like, <laughs> this is where I shouldn't tell this story. My girls were in the back and I didn't know I said it this loud, but I was like, this is like the sexiest thing I've ever seen. Just like my wife <laughs> driving this old convertible. And my oldest goes, what'd you say? And I was like, oh, uh, I was just complimenting mom, you know, and she heard it. And, um, you know, and Alicia's giving me <laughs> the look. Uh, my brain wasn't really present at that time, but um, your kids need to see you being affectionate, right? Isn't that like that's somewhat of a good thing, right? I'm trying to rationalize this. <laughs> Glad you guys are here. We're starting a new book of the Bible this week. It's one that I have never taught before, and I've read it before, but I guess I've just never uh, put the energy into really breaking it down and studying it and, hey, <laughs> and breaking it down. This is the guy that talks about his wife in front of all those thousands of people. Oh, that's fine. All right. Um, oh, you want me to look over there? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Photoshop some of this out or something. But uh, anyway, so uh, I've never done this book of the Bible before, and I've read over it several times. I've just never put the time and energy into really breaking it down. And um, the last couple of weeks as I've been reading over it and kind of studying it, um, I've really grown to love this book of the Bible. It's very straightforward. And so there are parts of the Bible that are, that are kind of soft and cuddly and subtle, and then there are other parts of the Bible that are very, very direct. Um, that is First John. It is a very, very direct book of the Bible, but I like that. I don't know about you. I kind of like to just be told sometimes where I need to straighten up and when I need to kind of get my act in order. So before I get into that, first let me tell you where I think we're going to kind of go this morning. There's a lot of talk of, of, of light and dark in John's work, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. And what we're going to talk about today is this. It is impossible to walk in the light unless we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even as good as we think we are, we're not good, we're not in the light unless we have a fellowship, a relationship with him, okay? That's where we're going to end up today. Let me give you a little bit of background, though, on this book, on the author, and kind of some context of this book. First of all, this is towards the very back of your Bible. So if you have a Bible, maybe the fifth to the last book of the Bible, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. So back there towards the back. Now, 1 John was a letter, as of a lot of the, the New Testament books were letters. This was a letter written to a church in a town called Ephesus, which is in modern-day western Turkey. So if you know where Greece is, there's the Aegean Sea, and then on the other side of the Aegean Sea is modern-day Turkey, and this would have been on the western side of Turkey. Now, this book of the Bible was written, they don't know exactly when, but it was either somewhere about, about 30 to 35 years after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, so about 60 to 65 AD, or it could have possibly been written even a little bit later than that, about 80 to 90 AD, so about 60 years after Jesus was crucified, okay? So the reason why this letter was written was to encourage people to remain in their faith. 
So there's a lot of imagery of, of staying away from the darkness, being in the light. There's a lot of talk of God's love. There's also a lot of talk of obedience. Do what God tells you to do. There's a lot of mentions of that in this work, okay? Now, a little bit about John. John was one of the original 12 disciples. Uh, he wrote five books of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Gospel of John, and one that we just spent a lot of time on, the book of Revelation, okay? He was uh, formerly a follower of John the Baptist, met Jesus Christ, became a follower of Jesus Christ. He was nicknamed one of the Sons of Thunder, which that was my nickname. You know, you walk into Starbucks, hey, Son of Thunder, hello. <laughs> Good nickname. He was also nicknamed the Apostle of Love for a couple of different reasons. One, fun fact about John, he was the only one of the 12 disciples present when Jesus was crucified. Another fun fact, he was the only one that died of natural causes. It's kind of interesting. He was called the Apostle of Love because in the Gospel of John, the one he wrote, he said he was the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> he also mentions another fun fact about John. In the Gospel of John, during the resurrection, it says that he and Peter took off at the same time running towards the grave, and he outran Peter. So a little passive-aggressive statement from John that he was faster than Peter, right? <laughs> Love that. So to the city he was writing in, the city of Ephesus, this was an interesting part of the world. In Asia Minor, this was the capital, and it wasn't a very big capital. It was only about 3,000 people, so a relatively small town. But for a small town, it was very affluential, a lot of money, very influential because of the trade routes that went right through this small town, okay? So the Roman Empire as it traveled, as people traveled all around the Roman Empire, they would pass through this small town. A lot of money, a lot of intelligence in this area, also a lot of paganism. One of the seven wonders of the world at this time was a temple to a goddess named Diana, which the Bible actually speaks of several times, okay? And so it was a very interesting pocket, and in this little pocket was a little church called Ephesus, right, where we get the book Ephesians, written by Paul, written to the same group of people, all right? So this is a little bit of context who wrote it, why they wrote it, who they were writing it to. Now, if you have your Bible, again, fifth to the last book of the Bible, I think, is where we're at. You should have got a notes handout. Everything will be on the screens. And if you have the Experience Community app, that's a very handy way to follow along. It's got all the scripture and all the notes, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into this. We'll do uh, all of chapter one, about half of chapter two, and we'll go through it relatively quick because it's pretty straightforward, right? Okay. All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for this church. God, I love that we can laugh and have a good time. And I, I thank you, God, that we're casual in this place and that we can break open your word and we can just jump in and, and learn. God, I pray, Lord, that you just sharpen us today. Lord, uh, edify this body, lift up this body, God, this church. We also pray that you lift up every body of believers in this community, God. Lord, we're all on the same team and we pray that you bless churches that are maybe smaller than us and churches that are bigger than us and and Lord, as long as they say that you are the way, the truth, and the life, God, we pray that they're blessed. We pray for all the great nonprofits in our community. Pray for Portico, God, and bless their endeavors and what they're doing. And we just pray, God, that you just keep your hand on us today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's your name we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to go back and break it down to the best of my abilities. Okay, here we go. What was from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify 
and declare to you the eternal life was with the Father and revealed to us. What we have seen and what we have heard, what we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, he says something interesting. John opens up with this prologue, and he says, we've seen Jesus with our eyes. We have also touched Jesus with our hands, the word of life. Now, what has happened, and the reason why context is so important, is at the very least, about 30 years has passed since the death, burial, and resurrection. In those couple of decades, right, in at least those 30 years, those three decades, a lot of false teaching had risen up because there had been distance between the time Jesus left the earth and, and, and when this book was written. One of the false teachings that had risen up was something called Gnosticism, which is based off knowledge. And one of the things that Gnosticism taught was that when Jesus was on earth, he was a spirit, but he was not a physical body. He was not a physical man. And that was bad theology. John knew that was bad theology. So instead of running from the bad theology because he was afraid of hurting someone's feelings, John ran right to the bad theology and addressed it head on. John was basically alluding to the fact that he lived with Jesus, traveled with Jesus for, for several years, literally touched the body of God, no telling how many times. He high-fived Jesus or hugged Jesus or whatever they were doing, right? And so false teachers had risen up and they were spreading their interpretation of who Jesus is. Now, how many times have you guys heard people say, well, I think Jesus is this? Listen, I hate to be rude. I don't care what you think Jesus is. I care what the word of God says about who Jesus Christ is. I care about who God says he is. And so whenever people say, well, I don't think Jesus would do that, show me where in the Bible you get that thought. And if you can't show it to me, Quite frankly, I don't care because the word of God is what defines our theology, not our opinions, okay? It's important that we get our theology from the word of God because John says the truth was revealed by who Jesus Christ is. So the identity of Jesus is the key. That is very, very important. John says that life was revealed in who Jesus is and Jesus was not just a spirit, he was not just a man, he was 100% man, 100% co-equal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. 100% man, 100% divine simultaneously. We still do this today though. In our day and age, we don't say Jesus was a spirit. False teachers say, well, he was just a really good guy, right? Jesus just was a really good dude. He wasn't divine, but he was a good guy. And what we do is we tend to fashion Jesus into an image that makes us comfortable. Most of the times, we live a certain way, so we fashion a God that, that excuses our lifestyle. That's what we do, and it makes us comfortable. But the distortion of Jesus's identity is a heaven or hell thing. You have to accept Christ for what he is, completely divine, right? He is the son of God. So John says, when we know who he is, our joy is made complete. So one of the biggest reasons why he wrote this book of the Bible was he knew that unless we know who Jesus is, we will never be content. We will never be fulfilled. 
Not only does it bring us contentment and joy, though, when we find out who Jesus is, that when we see other people realize who Jesus is, that should also bring us joy and contentment. Now, I'm sure you guys have either heard this or maybe you've possibly even said this. Well, Jesus just wants us to be happy. That is not in the Bible. It does not say in the Bible, God wants you happy. Happiness is different than contentment and joy. Happiness is contingent on circumstances. What that means is, based on your circumstances, you can either be happy or unhappy. Contentment is much deeper than happiness. God doesn't want happiness for you, he wants contentment. Because contentment is not contingent on what you don't have or have. That regardless if you take everything from me, if I have a relationship with God, I still have joy and I am still content. So God doesn't want you to be happy. God wants something greater for you. He wants contentment for you, fulfillment, okay? This is the message that we have heard from him and we declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if any of you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for those of the whole world. So John, like I said, makes a lot of references to darkness and a lot of references to light. Not just in this book, he does it at least three times that I know of in the Gospel of John, mentions it in the book of Revelation. And he says, since God is light and there's no darkness in him, we cannot claim to follow Jesus if we're doing dark things. Simply put, living in sin and claiming to be a Christian is incompatible. Jesus said it this way, you will know a tree by its fruit. Look at how simple that analogy is. Hey, is that an apple tree? There's apples on it. Yes, it's an apple tree. Hey, is that a Christian? Well, I don't see any fruit. It's not a Christian. That's how simple that analogy is. So whenever people come up to me, they're just like, hey, can you pray for my nephew, Jimbo? Like, he deals crack on the side. He beats his wife. Like, he cheats on his taxes. Like, he doesn't go to church or read the Bible, obviously, right? All these things. But he's a Christian. Like, but can you pray for him? And I'm like, hold on a second. To be a Christian means you follow Jesus. I haven't heard that in that conversation. So I can't tell you how many times I said, well, I'm not worried about his salvation, but, and I'm like, you're not? You should be. You should be deeply concerned for Jimbo, right? He is not living the way he's supposed to be living. (laughs) Obviously, that's a hypothetical person, right? So the first thing that should take place, though, as we start to, or the first thing John mentions is, When we have the light of God in us, we should treat people differently. In fact, in the Gospel of John, the same John says this. He says, how can we claim to love a God that we cannot see when we don't even love the people around us that we can see? 
So when we're racist or when we're bigoted or when we're sexist or when we're gossipy or when we're mean and we treat other people bad and we say we follow Christ, that's a lie. That's not true. We cannot love an invisible God if we cannot love visible people. It's the first thing John mentions. We should also live differently as well. Verse seven says the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. This suggests not just initial forgiveness, right? That's some bad theology that some of you have bought into, that you say one prayer and you're just kind of good, right? Everything's good forever. No, there's a continual progressive growth in us that once we give our life to Christ, yes, he forgives us of all of our sin, but we are to be continually evolving to be more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification, And a true conversion should produce a noticeable change in us. So if we give our life to Christ, right, we repent for all of our sins, we get baptized, we we start coming to church, but if things in our life don't change, how we talk, how we treat each other, the things that we do, if nothing changes, I dare say that you haven't had a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ. You cannot have a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ and not be changed. You're changed. And so there should be a noticeable difference. And we should always be changing. If you're 90 years old in this room and you've been a Christian for 80 of those 90 years, you should still be evolving closer and closer to being like Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, we must know what sin is. When John says that we have no sin, it's not that we're claiming to be perfect. It's ignorance when we say, I'm not doing anything wrong. And we're deceiving ourselves. And he says that the truth is not in us. The problem is most of us don't know that we're sinning because we don't read the word of God that defines sin. So not only as a Christian do we need to be reading the the word of God and learning what sin is, we have to be willing to confess it. And when we confess that sin, God takes care of it. He cleans it up. And pleading ignorance is not sufficient. It is not sufficient. When we stand in front of Jesus Christ, we, I, God, I didn't know. He's like, you could have driven to Barnes and Noble and they had 18 different versions of the Bible that would have addressed sin. We have everything that we need to know what is right and wrong. We have the word of God. So in this room, and I'm not trying to be a jerk or, or point fingers at anyone, but in Christianity, 95% of all Christians lose their virginity before marriage. I, I was one, Right? But what we've done in Christianity is, well, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know that that was sin. Well, now you do. But even if I didn't say it in front of you, we have the word of God, which leads to another problem. Christians don't read their Bibles. So pleading ignorance is not an excuse. We need to seek out what God wants from us. Now, listen, this does not mean that we're going to be perfect. God knows you're going to make mistakes. God knows you're going to mess up. But John makes it clear, sin is over here, God is over here, and the closer we get to God, the further we should be getting away from sin. But we are going to mess up. But here's the thing, when we mess up, we have an advocate, he says. We have someone that loves us, forgives us, helps us. But what Christians do, what people do in general, is we always have to go to extremes, right? We do it in politics, We do it in sports. We even do it in religion and in church. What people think, though, is, well, every time I make a mistake, I lose my salvation. God doesn't love me anymore. I came from that kind of a church. I was saved in that kind of a church, right? You live really, really good. You're working on your old car. You hit your knuckle. You say a colorful word, and uh, instantly, salvation is gone, right? That's crazy. That's not correct. 
But then we go to the other extreme, which I imagine, I bet a lot of you are from this background, that there's nothing you can do to mess up your relationship with God. You say one prayer at Bible camp when you're 10 years old and live like hell and think that everything's okay, right? That's also some really terrible and dangerous theology. Either one of those extremes is unhealthy and is wrong, quite frankly. But we have to be careful with this. God knows that we're imperfect and that we're gonna make mistakes, so he's gracious to forgive us. The Bible even says we receive grace upon grace, all kinds of grace, right? But that does not give us a license to sin, and it does not give us a license to disregard God's commands. The same guy that said grace upon grace also said, should we sin more that grace abounds? And he says, no, sin is a bad thing. So Jesus said this, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. You'll keep my commands. So if someone says, I love Jesus, but I consciously do this sin, they're lying. That is not true. And again, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. But when we fall, we should go back and want to ask for God's forgiveness. Let me give you a good example. Every time I make a mistake, right, with my wife, she doesn't serve me divorce papers. Well, you didn't do the dishes. Here you go, honey, right? Here's the divorce papers. She doesn't do that. But be, listen to this. Listen to this very carefully. It's not about me getting divorced when I make a mistake, but I love my wife so much that when I make a mistake because I've hurt her, I want to go to her and say, I am so sorry, Alicia. I'm not afraid of you. I've never once thought divorce in the 14 years we've been together, but that's not the point. I love her and I want her forgiveness. It's the same way with Jesus Christ. It's not that you have to be worrying about your salvation all the time, but if you truly love Jesus and you're living contradictory to his commands... We should want to make it right with God. Does that make sense? But what we do is we always have these conversations. Can we lose our salvation? I hate that conversation. Here's an easy litmus test for if you're saved or not saved. If one is pursuing Christ and producing the fruit of the Spirit, you got nothing to worry about. You don't have to worry about your salvation. Listen, if you're not producing the fruit of the Spirit and not pursuing Christ, there is a problem and it needs to be addressed. And so, so many of us, though, have been taught that there's nothing you can do to ruin a relationship with Christ, and this book does not teach that. It does not teach that. So if we are disconnected, if we don't have a fellowship with him, we need to be in fellowship with Christ. Amen. John's about to back me up in this. Actually, I guess I'm about to back him up, but whatever, here we go. <laughs> this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. Look at how stinking simple that was. The one who says, I have come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. So I just said that, right? So John gives us a very, very simple test. If you want to know you're in him, you do what Jesus tells you to do. He gets a little snappier. He says when people claim to know him but don't do what he tells them to do, he goes, they're, they're lying. They're not following him. Again, 
This is not advocating perfection. That's not what it's doing. But it's advocating a life where repentance isn't just something we do when we're 12. It is something that we do every time we make a mistake, that we go back to our Father. Not that we're in fear of losing our relationship or our salvation with Him, but because we love Him, we say, God, we're sorry. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to do things that make you upset. I love you. It's a lifestyle. And obedience is a very serious thing. Whoever keeps the word of God, John says, the love of God is complete in that person. He says, this is how you know that we're in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk as he walked. Here's the thing. In order to keep the word of God, we must read the word of God. The reason why so many of us don't keep the word of God is we don't read the word of God. And guys, I'm not telling you to have a PhD or, or to have this thing memorized, but any one of us can take 10 minutes a day and read a chapter. It won't even take you 10 minutes. Listen, if you read three chapters a day, you'll read this entire book in a year. It'll take you maybe 15 minutes a day. But not only are we to read the word, listen, we're to live the word. James, in the book of James says this, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word, apply this. And when we apply the word of God, when we build a relationship with the Lord, our, we're, we're made complete. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we mature. A relationship with Christ is a lifelong journey. We're constantly changing. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly looking more and more like Jesus as we travel through. The author of Hebrews talks about life like this. He says it's like a marathon. It's like a race. And in order to run the race well, we have to shed excess weight, which is sin. We become more fluid, more streamlined. We move at a quicker pace when we shed the sin. And he says, not just shed it one time, but we're to continually until the day we die, persevering, getting closer and closer to him. We're never gonna be perfect, but let's keep running that direction until we meet perfection face to face, right? That's what the author is talking about. John says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the word you've heard, yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother and sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So John says, I have an old command, but it's kind of a new command. What he means is this. The people he's writing to have been hearing for literally thousands of years to love people. All throughout the Old Testament, we're called to love people. Here's a fun fact about the Ten Commandments. Six out of the Ten Commandments, 60% of the Ten Commandments, don't have to do with us and God. They have to do with us and each other. Six out of the ten of them. Don't leal. Don't, don't, don't leal. I just made that one up. That's a combination of lie and steal. <laughs> don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Don't kill. Right? Things like that that affect how we interact with other people. Now, when he says this is old, but it's also new, what he means by that is when Jesus came into the picture, we had the most extreme example of how to love our neighbor. We know this, right? Jesus was 
strung up on a cross, the old kind of cheesy saying, how much does God love you? This much, right? That the perfect example, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross. Not only did God love us, not only did he tell us to love others, through Jesus Christ, we had the most vivid, just graphic display of what love for others looks like. And look at what Peter says. Peter says, Jesus suffered for you, and he gave you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. Corey, does that mean we might die for others? Yeah, it means that it may come to that, that we may have to lay our lives down even for people that don't care, even for people that don't appreciate it. Christ has set the example and we are called to follow. Now listen, I, I, I said this at the, at the resurrection weekend last weekend, kind of, kind of exposed the darkness of Corey's heart. I don't always want to die for you. I don't always want to give my life for other people. Sometimes I don't even want to be kind to other people because sometimes people are rough. They're, they're hard to deal with. They will stab you in the back and they will hurt you. So what John says is we can only love others if the true light is in us. There has to be a light that's shining in us. And if we have God's spirit in us, that light is already activated. And we can't love people unless the Holy Spirit is in us. And the word love that he uses is the big version of love. There's multiple versions of the word love that is used in the New Testament. You know, we throw that word around sometimes. I mean, like, I love baseball. I love the hot dogs. I love my wife. Those are all different kinds of love. And the love that John is using here is the deepest love, the most passionate, intimate, I would give my life for you love. This kind of love, agape love, means that we act properly towards each other. Listen, it means we want the best for our neighbors. That when our neighbor pulls up in their brand new car that's worth all of your cars, right? That you don't look at that and covet that or have jealousy over that. You say, praise God that they're blessed with that car. That when we see their beautiful yard or we see that they add something onto their house, that we don't step back in jealousy or covetousness, but we say, praise God that they're blessed. I want what's best for them. It means we share the truth with them. It means that we go out of our way for them. We want them to be treated the way we would like to be treated. Amen. But listen, without the Holy Spirit, it is impossible. Absolutely impossible. I don't know if you've lived like this yet. If you haven't, wait for it, you will. All of us get beat down, we get abused, we get taken advantage of, we're lied to, we're swindled, we're cheated. Some of us fall into addiction where we get addicted to pornography or we get addicted to alcohol or we struggle with insecurities. And all of us at one point or another will reach a point where we say, I cannot do this. I can't make it at this job. I can't work with this person. I can't save my marriage. I can't be content. I can't get over this addiction. I can't get over this struggle. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about that statement. It is 100% true. You can't do it unless you have an advocate, unless you have help. You cannot make it through this life the way you're supposed to make it through this life unless the Holy Spirit of God is with you. We need help. We are incapable of being what God the creator has designed us to be without him walking with us. I don't know if anyone else in the room is a Soundgarden fan. I've always been a Soundgarden fan. Remember when I bought Super Unknown? I was about 13 years old. Yeah. And I remember when Chris Cornell died. I've had a lot of 
rock stars and people that I, my wife and I are big David Bowie fans. I remember when he died, that was a say, oh, but when Chris Cornell died, I was very perplexed by this. He was a good looking guy, great voice, great guitar player, successful, several successful bands. He was on tour. He had everything. He had a beautiful wife, kids, money, fame, everything. And he took his life. Why? Now listen, I'm not Chris Cornell's judge, but I dare say there was one thing absent, and it was a relationship with God, the creator. Even when we have everything the world says we should want to have, without God in our lives, we are incapable of being what we're supposed to be. We're incapable of finding that fulfillment and that contentment. It's impossible. It's impossible to live committed lives without the Holy Spirit encouraging us. There's a reason why Jesus looked at his followers and Jesus said, wait for the Holy Spirit. It's going to empower you. That word empowerment leads us to believe that without God's Spirit, we don't have any power. So Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be the comforter, the counselor. We talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Some people are intimidated by that. You shouldn't be. The gifts of the Spirit have practical applications. The gift of wisdom that shows us the decisions we should make. The gift of discernment to know where we should go and where we shouldn't. The gift of knowledge, the gift of courageous faith. The Holy Spirit enables us to live committed lives to be the husbands and wives we need to be, to be the bosses or employees we need to be. It's the encouragement. It's the gas in our tank. We have to have that, and if we don't, we, we can't make it. We cannot walk in the light without continually going back to the cross. It's not just a one-time thing. I don't know about you guys. I need the blood of Jesus Christ every day in my life. Every day. Lord, every day I need you to wash over me again. I can't make it without that. I'm gonna slip into darkness if I don't have the light shining on me all the time. That means that we need to love God enough to where we make mistakes, we run to him and say, God, I got off the track again. Please forgive me. Please put me on the right track. We can't have a relationship with God if we continually neglect what he tells us to do. Listen, and I'm not trying to be a jerk. This is why some of you can't financially get your lives in order because you're not living by the Bible's teachings on finances. The reason why some of you can't get your marriages in order is because you're not living by the Bible's teachings on marriage. The reason why some of you are insecure or, or discontent, the reason why some of you don't have peace of mind, the reason why you're not blessed by God is you don't have a relationship with God. We can't have a fellowship with God if we continually do things that he tells us not to do. We just can't do it. We can't love others properly without God's help. Men in this room, I'll speak to you for a second. If you're a dad in here, you may provide for your family, you may protect them, you may have built a good home around them and given your, your kids nice cars to drive to school, all these things. But if you don't pray with your children, you're not properly loving them. The greatest thing you can ever give your child is a love for the Lord, to demonstrate for them, right? I joke around, you know, about me calling my wife sexy in front of the kids, but my kids need to see that I passionately love their mother, that I care for their mom, but I can't be the husband I'm supposed to be unless the Holy Spirit is in me. I can't treat my wife like Jesus treats me unless I have a relationship with him. Women, you can't be the moms that you need to be 
man, being a mom is hard. My wife used to be a chemist and now she's a stay-at-home mom. And if she were to say which one was easier, being a chemist was much easier, right? It's hard. And it's by the power of God that we are the, we're the parents that we need to be. Women, to be able to respect your husband, you need the love of God in you. To be the boss you need to be, the neighbor you need to be, to properly love people. But all of this is contingent, listen, on humbling ourselves and knowing and realizing that without God, we are screwed. It takes humility to say, God, I can't do this. I can't do it without you. We can't be saved without him. We can't find fulfillment without him. We can't properly love the people around us without him. We will walk in darkness. You can't beat that porn addiction on your own. You can't do it. There's steps you can take. There's things you can do. But unless God gives you strength, you're gonna find something. You're gonna find some way around the software, some way around the accountability. You're gonna get it on your phone. You're gonna do something. You need the Holy Spirit of God to work in your heart. You can't get over that substance abuse without the God component. Nothing wrong with AA or NA or a, you know, SA or any of those different things. Nothing wrong with those things. But there has to be the God component. We are incapable of being what the creator has designed us to be unless he's with us. But let me give you a piece of, of, of really encouraging news. If we have fellowship with God, if your marriage is on the rocks in here, do you know how to save it? Turn your eyes towards Christ. I know it sounds so simple. Well, pastor, you have to say that. It saved my marriage. When we first started this church, man, it was a rough, lonely time. It was by the power of God that my wife and I made it. Those of you who are discontent with your work, it is only through God that you can be what you're supposed to be there or maybe somewhere else to be the mother, the father, the husband, the wife, whatever the case may be. You can be what God wants you to be if you will just trust him. If you will walk with him, if you will build a relationship with him, if you'll have fellowship with him. Let me tell you a story, and I'm gonna be really careful not to embarrass this couple. There is a young couple that, that started coming to this church, I, I say maybe eight months ago, somewhere in that ballpark. And, and again, hopefully I won't tell you too much about them where you can identify them. But I remember they made an appointment to come see me. And I'll tell you what, in 10 years of meeting with I don't know how many couples, it was probably one of the most dysfunctional, broken marriages I've ever dealt with. I mean, just all kinds of dysfunction on both sides, between each other. There was a blended family with, you know, they have a lot of kids and all this mess going on. I mean, it was just, it was awful. They would sit as far away on my little love seat in my office as they could get, right? Wouldn't look at each other. Every time someone said something, the other one would, I mean, they just go at each other. It was a mess. So after an hour of this mess, I said, guys, here's, here's what you have to do if, if you're gonna ever make this. I said, you gotta be at church every single week. You gotta be here. I said, you guys have to get a Bible. I'll get you one if you can't afford one. You gotta start reading that thing. Start in the book of Matthew. Some good stuff on marriage in Matthew. Keep on working. Work through, the, work through the Bible. I said, you guys need to start praying with each other, praying for your kids, praying for each other, praying with each other. You guys need to serve at the church. You guys, you know, you need to get a job. You need to do this. You guys need to start talking to each other, respecting each other, all these things. And I made them a whole list. You know, it was crazy. They started doing them. Every single one of them. It was nuts. They started coming to all four services. That quickly faded away because no one wants to 
hear me that much, right? <laughs> they learn that quick. They're like, hmm, this isn't what we thought it'd be. But, uh, but they started coming to all four services. I, I started noticing that they would start serving in different areas. They were getting instantly involved in a small group here at the church. And over the course of maybe five or six months, I started noticing when they would walk into the church, they'd be giggling and elbowing each other, smiling, kind of flirting and stuff. I did kind of a checkup meeting with them maybe five, six weeks ago, and they were in my office and not sitting on the far ends. I mean, like, almost sitting on each other's laps. I'm like, you guys want me to leave? Or I mean, but, I mean like, but this couple was just enthralled with each other. He had just gotten the best job he'd ever gotten. They got a new home. Like, their kids are doing great and everything in their life. It's not perfect. They're still working through stuff. But what they did is they tried. They said, God, they looked up and they said, we can't do it. We are failing right now. They built a relationship with God. And when we have an individual relationship with Jesus, how we treat the person next to us changes. And when two people do that, a marriage gets fixed. Children's lives will be forever changed because they're now seeing their parents not yelling at each other, but embracing each other, laughing with each other, celebrating life. There is contentment. And it is only with God we can be what we're supposed to be. I do not know where you're at right now. I don't know it, what rope you're at the end of. It might be your marriage. It might be MTSU. I remember the end of that rope. It might be all kinds of different things that you're going through right now and you've reached your end and you're saying, I don't know what to do. It sounds so simple. Look up. Get a Bible and read it. Pray. You're gonna feel awkward. It's gonna feel strange. Open your mouth and speak to the Lord. God, I don't know where to begin, but I need help. Man, I just got chills. If we will be humble enough to say, God, I don't know where to begin, but I need help. God shows up. He is a perfect father. How many of you in this room, if your kids cried out for help, you would ignore your kids? Of course not. You're imperfect. God is perfect. I got about two minutes. Let me tell you one quick story about me. In the 10 years that I've done this church, I can't tell you how many times I've reached the end of my rope. I just can't do it. God, I can't deal with these people. I'm not fit to lead all these people. You know, now we have money coming in and all this responsibility. I can't do this, God. I'm at the end. I just want to dip out. It's going to fail. It's going to fall apart. And I can't tell you how many times God has whispered in my ear, Corey, do you think I would bring you this far just to let you fail? Do you think God has brought you into this room today because he hates you? Do you think God is having you hear these words right now because he wants you to fail? What parent in this room wants your child to fail? No good parent. And Jesus Christ is the perfect heavenly father. He did not bring you in this room right now to let you fall on your face. But if we will willingly hit our knees, God will make something into us that you never thought was possible. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I don't know who needed to hear that. Guys, maybe it was just me. Maybe it was none of you. Maybe it was all of us today. I'll tell you what, God has a plan for you. It's a good plan. 
God wants you to have a good marriage. God wants you to have a good relationship with your kids. God wants you to be the best student you can be, the best employee you can be. God wants you to be the best neighbor you can be. But we have to be humble enough to know that we cannot do it alone. It is impossible. We just can't. We'll fail. But when we fail, we have an advocate. <laughs> we have someone that wants to help us and walk with us. If you're in this room, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Greg is up here to my right, your left. He's up here towards the front of the stage. If you're not a Christian or maybe you have questions or you know, maybe you're just kind of like, what, what is this? What, where do I even start? Greg is one of our pastors on staff. Come up here and talk to Greg. Super nice guy. He, he's learned of the, of the Bible, been in ministry for a long time. Come talk to him. There's also men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, anything, it can be something as big as cancer or something as small as a job interview. Come up here and let someone pray with you. There's also communion all the way around the room, wherever you see a lamp on a table. Everyone is welcome to take communion, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We do that a little bit differently here. You just grab it, you can go back to your seat and take communion. When you take that communion today, though, I want you to remember what I just said about letting you fail. Do you think God would give his only son to die on a cross just to let you down? It's absurd, isn't it, when you think about it? God gave his only son that if we would just believe in him, we'll have life, abundant life, everlasting life, a quality of life. We can be everything God wants us to be. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. God, thank you for everyone in this room today. Lord, we've all failed. We've all fallen short, God, but you are so gracious. You pick us up, you dust us off, and you put us right back on track. Humble us today, God. Keep your hand on us today. Protect us today. Keep all my brothers and sisters, my friends, my family in this room. God, keep them safe, Lord, until we meet again, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.